This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, September 3rd, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. It's hard to fully account for the human costs of the U.S. backlog in visa applications. For tech CEO Matt McGuire and his fiancée, it means that the military veteran will effectively have to choose between being with his future wife and living in the United States of America. For what it's worth, he says it's an easy choice. I spoke with Mr. McGuire and Cato's David Beer last month. Matt, if you don't mind, uh, tell me the shortest possible version of uh, your state right now. I am doing great. You know, I am uh, no complaints on my end, but my beautiful, gorgeous fiance, who is a uh, a fashion model and a Fulbright scholar, uh, or part of the Fulbright program, majoring in American studies, is a little disconcerted about the fact that she's been waiting over a year to marry me. And that's uh, why David was kind of to introduce me to you. The story starts about eight years ago. I had uh, left the army. I was a 37 Fox who deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. I saved up all my leave to the end because you're allowed 30 days vacation, traveled Europe, um, met like quite possibly the most beautiful person I'd ever seen um, at a Thanksgiving dinner because she loves America and she wanted to go to an American Thanksgiving in Bucharest. After uh, eight years of on-again, off-again dating, I uh, manned up and I asked to pop the question. She said yes, and things should have been gone well. Um, she went home. This was in Texas, right? Uh, she went home to tell her grandparents she's Romanian. And for whatever reason, it, it's still inexplicable to me, she wasn't allowed back in the country, uh, even though she had Tom on her visa. But that's no big deal. I'm a love-struck veteran, you know? I had some friends over, donated most of my stuff to charity. Figured I'd go to uh, Romania or go to Europe with her for a few weeks or maybe in a few months to wait for what's called a K-1 alien fiancé visa. That's the official term. Uh, it's very it's romantic. Been... Right. Right. Her parents, she speaks amazing English. Her parents had a lot of fun because we own a pug that looks like the men in Black Dog. She had a, they had a lot of fun with her that she's an alien. It's been over a year since they received the application. Now, I want to stop people because a lot of people are like giving me empathy that I'm in some sort of Kafkaesque process. But Joseph K. got a trial. The book is called The Trial. We've not gotten a trial. We've not gotten anyone to look at the application. It's just waiting there. Um, and we're still waiting. And I want to make something clear. I'm not going back without her. And we will get to a point where we will decide to put down roots somewhere else, and I just won't go back. All right, I'm the CEO. Like, please, no one started GoFundMe for me. I'm the CEO of a nanotech company. I'm doing great. But I will my, move myself. We're a remote company, perhaps manufacturer in a foreign country. We're an anti-counterfeit company, so we have to teach people how to make this physical product. So we can teach anyone anything. It doesn't have to be in America. Uh, I've, I, I've had it. It disgusts me the way she's been treated. This is a woman who loves F. Scott Fitzgerald, loves Bart Scorsese, loves King of Queens. She loves the country that I ostensibly fought for. I mean, you had Hannah Neon. We know what I really fought for. But like, you know, ostensibly I fought for this country and they've spit my face. They spit in her face. And uh, yeah, so let's have some follow up questions before I go off too hard. So uh, this K-1 visa you applied for it a year ago. Uh, it's my understanding you had some trouble getting the State Department to even acknowledge that you had made this application. Uh, once right. they had acknowledged that they had received the application, then what happened? Nothing. 
So they have acknowledged receiving it on May 14th. Uh, literally nothing has happened since then. Now they've got a website. The website has changed multiple times where if you type in the receipt date, it'll give you a projected wait period. And that's gone from three months to four months to six months. I checked it today and it changed again because as of yesterday, it was 13 months and we've been waiting for more than 13 months. Uh, they changed it to 13.5. I don't understand why they're bothering updating this website. They should just process visas. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Dave, to what extent is this par for the course? Yeah, what's so interesting about Matt's story is that this really is the normal immigration system today. This is not some, you know, extremely unusual case. This is what the immigration system in the United States is like. And it's even like this for a veteran of the United States, for someone who's marrying uh, someone to, you know, come to this country. And, you know, so these are the cases where everyone agrees. There's no dispute there's not even a, even nativist organizations out there saying we shouldn't allow American citizens to sponsor foreign relatives. At least they won't openly they won't openly say that. But here is the position that the you know Kafka esque bureaucracy has created, and it's getting dramatically worse. It's getting worse every year, and it's getting worse under you know. The Trump administration, this administration, since 2016, just for this specific type of visa, you had a wait time that's increased from two and a half months as the median. This is the not the average. This is just for 50 percent of applications are done in less than two and a half months in 2016. Now it's over 11 and a half months. And as you, you know, heard the 13 and a half months, that's supposedly 80% are done in 13 and a half months. So it's just increasing dramatically. And this is just the first step. The first step is I get this petition approved. The second step is you actually have to apply for a visa that gives you the right to travel to the United States. And so that first part is from the Department of Homeland Security. And then the second part that we haven't even gotten to yet um, is run by the State Department. And there's all kinds of backlogs there. There's another more than 400,000 people waiting for an interview already <laughs> before you know Matt even gets the chance to apply uh, for an immigrant visa to come to the United States uh, permanently. And the government will still not be done with them yet. I mean, they'll have 90 days to get married once they get here. Then they'll have to wait in another year long queue to get permanent residence uh, and a green card. And then after that, the government's still not done because they want to make sure that it was a legit marriage that, you know, that this isn't just someone doing this in order to get an immigrant into the country as if any, you know, I mean, if you're willing to do this on behalf of a foreigner, even if you don't love her, right. you should be able to to have that as an option. Yeah. So what's remarkable is that how ordinary this is. Matt, so uh, why haven't you gotten married yet? That's a great question. So my attorneys told me, uh, or many attorneys told me, so I don't give up client privilege here. Uh, the marriage visas are more backed up than the fiance visa. So it's literally delayed my nuptials for over a year. 
you know? And like, I don't want to, you know, I was in Afghanistan, I was in Iraq, like just to uh, kind of take a spit on some Malcolm X, you know, no Taliban ever tried to block my marriage. You've spoken with members of Congress? Yeah, I've spoken with a lot of high officials. I, I won't name them all. Here's a story for you, though. One congressional staffer who works with a lot of, um, he does a lot of it, work with interpreters because they, from Iraq, who come to his uh, district. He told me, I'm in the California service center. He told me that, uh, you know, he used to call their congressional liaison office. But uh, during COVID, they just ripped the phones out of the walls. And so now he has to email them or fax them and they don't respond to either. So this this little uh, civil service bureaucracy, and they're part of ASME, you know, I know you know who ASME is, uh, they just ignore Congress, right? It's, you can write any law you want. They operate on their own accord. Uh, like, again, you can't even call, David is exactly right. You can't call this nativism. There's no legislative solution. You know, Mankur Olson, uh, back in 65, wrote about, uh, you know, diffuse versus concentrated interests, right? These people care a lot about their pensions, and they care a lot about getting paid, and they care a lot of, a lot more about not working than we care about going in and fixing some system, right? And it's gotten so much worse since 1965. It's gotten so much worse since 2016. It's just, it, it turns my stomach. David, you and I have talked about this uh, in a variety of contexts, and uh, you are quick to stress that this particular problem of delaying visas is not a partisan one. No, no, definitely not. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is the bureaucracy at work. Um, COVID-19 provided the ultimate get out of work free card to right. the State Department and Department of Homeland Security. And they just they just cut staff and people went on vacation and they disconnected the phone lines. And it's not just that, you know, for congressional staff, uh, the, the State Department did the same thing. And at the end of the day, we're left with a system that's in total disarray. And um, the only solution here is just a radical change in how we do immigration. This whole bureaucracy upon bureaucracy. We have multiple government agencies involved, uh, multiple departments. And it really comes down to there's no one. Here's the very important thing that that the average American doesn't understand about these these wait times. There's no one looking at Matt's application and scrutinizing it for 13 and a half months. It's just sitting there in a paper file somewhere and no one's looking at it because they got all these other paper files that are stacked up. And the enraging thing and, and one of the reasons why I thought his case was so uh, useful as an illustration of how absurd the immigration system is, is Matt and his fiance were already in Texas. She already had the right to travel back and forth to the United States as soon as Matt said, I want to marry this person. As soon as I, you know, the connection became uh, far more important to him than a mere visitor, a friend coming and visiting him, then the bureaucracy said, nope, no more. We're not going to let that happen. 
And, you know, uh, the he, he can explain the situation. I mean, she was coming back with luggage and ultimately, you know, just weeks away from marrying him. And they said, well, no, you can't use yeah. your temporary tourist visa for that purpose. And so we ended up with a situation where this is a woman who's been to the United States many times, had was effectively living here. And yet the bureaucracy intervened and said, no, we can't do that. And ultimately, that was the decision that forced them to live abroad. So there's just a radical rethink that's necessary in this area. And Matt's case is such a good example of, of why that's needed. Matt, you've said you're not going to come back to the United States without her. And to the extent that that is the case, um, you know, are you sad to decide to essentially not return to the United States? She's sad because she's more of a patriot than I am. Like I said, she's studied American studies. She loves American media, music, literature, art. I'm fine. Uh, America's going through some something and uh if they don't if they don't want Shalina, i'm totally okay taking my spending habits my tax money and perhaps my company's manufacturing elsewhere i i've enjoyed meeting her family here it's her that's heartbroken not me if they don't want us too bad where are you thinking of going we're looking at uh we have to put down uh roots somewhere um she and her modeling career had a great time in bali indonesia uh we're looking at some other options as well Dave, to the extent that uh, Matt is representative of uh, a certain group of people who would more than love to come back to the United States and, and bring their their loves home with them, you know, what does this mean for the U.S.? It is bad for the United States. It's bad for the immigrants, of course, but it's even worse for this country as a whole. If you look at it, 2020 was one of the first times in decades that the immigrant population in the United States declined. And it's at a time when the U.S. population is growing at the slowest rate in its entire history. We need people more than ever. We especially need job creators um, like Matt in this country. And the bureaucracy that stands between uh, them and their ability to contribute to this country is enormous and no one is concerted in their effort to do something about it. And that's a tragedy. Um, there should be outrage. This should be a national issue and a scandal. And uh, I wanna make it uh, more prominent in the minds of policymakers. Matt McGuire is CEO of SafeStamp. David Beer is Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute. Please give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 